For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Michael Port, and we're going to talk about how to find how to use and how to create stories in your marketing. You are really going to love this episode. And you know what? I've just been thinking, I really like my job. Do you like your job? I don't know what it is, but it's just such a great time as a marketer to be here in this time and in this place because things are evolving, technologies coming out, new thought leaders are coming onto the horizon. The pace of change is crazy, but there just lies before us this absolutely incredible opportunity. And I think today's episode is extra special because those that can figure out how to tell stories, how to use stories, and how to communicate stories in their marketing, in any kind of communication vehicle, can really stand out in a way that frankly wasn't possible a few years ago. So I hope you sit back and enjoy today's show. But first, let's bring you this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. I'm joined this week by Eric Fisher. Eric, what'd you discover? I discovered a cool way to save links for later using Pinterest. Mm, Talk to me. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, some people I just lost by saying Pinterest, but this is actually a pretty cool way to, you know, basically duplicate the functionality of a service like Pocket or those other read later type things. But if you're already a heavy Pinterest user or looking for a reason to start using Pinterest and play around with it and experiment with it without having to have, a, you know, a full blown committal to it. You can use the Pinterest app on your iPhone or Android, or even desktop for that matter, to save links to boards to then read them later. So how do you go about doing that? You basically set up your sharing, uh, your native sharing, um, it's called Share Sheets in iOS. I don't know what it's called on the Android. But you set it up to where you hit the share button, and then you hit more, and then you select, uh, you flip the toggle for Pinterest, this, this requires you to have the app installed. And then from that point forward, you can, if you're on an article, say, in Safari or some other browser, can send that link to Pinterest and you can easily, and this is what I'm doing, I've created a hidden board, a secret board where I put these things in. 
And then that way I can just jump there and especially <laughs> for my wife who uses Pinterest way more than Facebook, that's a cool way for me to send her stuff as well. Okay, just so I understand, if you're in the browser on your mobile device, there is a way, is what I hear you saying, to find Pinterest if you have the app installed and mm-hmm. and to share whatever page you're on in your browser directly to Pinterest. And, and, and w- what I hear you saying is if you've set up a a private board where it's just you, then you can kind of use that as the equivalent of a bookmarking, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's even, you know, it doesn't even have to be a secret or a private board. You could make this a what I'm currently reading or articles I found interesting type of a board. Very cool. Awesome. So um, so this tip is really just a process, if you will. It's not necessarily some new app or some new function. It's just a way to do something with existing apps that may or may not be on your phone, right? Yeah, it's it's it, it is a new new functionality. I, I don't know if it's actually a, you know brand new functionality, but Pinterest was the one that actually pointed this out to me as I was scouring their blog for cool insights, and it said save links later with Pinterest, and it was a really new article, and I thought this is cool. Well, so. it's funny because you know I also use the One Password app on my phone, and One Password taught me that you can go ahead and actually do the same functionality within the web browser, where you click that you know, that, that little, what is it, a square with an arrow on it or something like that? I forget. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then the more button and, and then boom, there is the, 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 uh, the app for one password. And you can, supposedly you can organize those little, those little applets or whatever you call those things, if you will, so that they're a little yes. more prevalent as well. So, uh, yeah, every single, every single tutorial I've seen has them showing you how to move their, you know, applet up to the top where theirs is like one of the first options you see. So very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us, Eric. Yeah, you're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Now with that, let's transition over to today's expert interview. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Michael Port. If you don't know who Michael is, he's a New York Times bestselling author, he's an actor, he's a professional speaker, and he's done a million things. He wrote the book, Book Yourself Solid. He teaches these awesome workshops called Heroic Public Speaking, where he combines the craft of acting and public speaking together. And it's helped a lot of people that have been on this podcast improve their public speaking. His latest book is called Steal the Show, From Speeches to Job Interviews to Deal Closing Pitches. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the art and the craft of story. And before we get into the you know, components and how to deliver great stories. I want to start with your story. How in the world did you get here, Michael? And start wherever you want. Well, it was a long and winding road. (laughs) No. So listen, you know, like most people, I failed forward quickly. I started my career as an actor and I have a master's from the graduate acting program at NYU. And then I worked professionally and I was on shows like Sex in the City, Third Watch, All My Children, Law and Order, 100 Center Street, directed by Sidney Lumet, which was really cool. I was in films like The Pelican Brief and Down to Earth, The Believer, and I made my bread and butter 
doing voiceovers. Mm. So I did voiceovers for AT&T, Pizza Hut, Braun, Coors Beer, MTV, and others. Just real quick on the voiceover stuff. Are we talking like call center kind of voiceover stuff or commercials? I'm just no, curious. No, commercial. Like 1-800-CALL-ATT. <laughs> or at Pizza Hut. Uh, and I'm remembering this. Now, you mentioned I was an actor, but that's been 25 years since I was a professional actor. But I remember some of them because they stick in your head. So at Pizza Hut, we've got so many pizzas, you can do something different every day. So many pizzas, one great deal. <laughs> you know, Sorry to I, interrupt I you, but keep going. Yeah, so you went yeah. from acting to voice, and then what? Uh, acting, well, so I was doing all of that. And then I left. You know, it's I wanted to make money. I wanted to do it quickly. I did not have the wherewithal at that age to wait. So I thought, let me go into business. Let me talk my way into a job for which I'm completely unqualified. And I told them I was unqualified, but I made my pitch for why I thought they should hire me. And fortunately they did. And then I worked my way up in the fitness industry on the business side. Mm. And when I look back on my success transitioning out of acting, I credit it to being an actor to be able to perform during life's high stakes situations. When the spotlight is on you and when the eyes are on you, I think that the way you perform will determine the quality of your life. And then when I left the fitness industry and I went into consulting and I started writing books, I just saw it more and more and more. And over the last 13 years, I've been working with businesses of all sizes and shapes and forms. And I, I realized that I needed, I had to, that I had to meld my experience as a professional actor, my training as an actor, my experience as a prof professional keynoter on the high uh, level of the circuit with, with what I know about the business world. And that's what Steal the Show is about because about 50% of it is a tour de force on the techniques associated with being a great public speaker. But the other half is focused on performing during life's everyday situations because we are performers whether we want to admit it or not. And you don't have to be an entertainer to be a performer, but we perform day in and day out. When we're in a meeting with a new organization, we're performing. When we're on a Skype conversation with you know uh, some of the team that's in China, we're performing. What year did you come out with uh, the book Yourself Solid, which is really a sales book, right? It's a, yeah, it's a marketing uh, book, a marketing system for small businesses. I came out with that in 2006. And that, I, I, I think that's the reason I knew you. And I yeah. think that's probably what you've been known for in this last decade the most. Agreed. And how have you bridged that to this current book? I'm just curious. Well, it wasn't very hard because... Since I was a public speaker, and uh, fortunately, I have a good reputation as a speaker, people would often ask me for help on their speaking. And I resisted it for a long time, and I think in part because I knew if I started doing it, I'd have to do more of it. Mm. But also because when I, when, you know, when I make a choice, I, st I stick with it. So you know, I was very focused on what we were building in our business. And until I knew I wanted to build a business based on the public speaking side of things, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to go down that rabbit hole. But when I put people on stage and started coaching them, I, I, I couldn't not do it. What, what some people have said, Jordan Harbinger said this. He said, when I first time I saw you do that, I thought it was staged. He said, I, there's no way that that person could have been that average and then gotten that good in one hour without it being staged. And then I saw you do it over three days, four more times. 
And every single time the same thing happened. There was, it looked like it must've been staged, but there's no way you could have staged all of that. And, and that's, and, and in the world of public speaking, it seems like magic, but it's not, it's really not. It's what actors and directors do all the time. But most folks, especially in the world of public speaking, they haven't been exposed to that kind of coaching and direction from a professional performer. And so that's why it's it's really been just remarkable. I I can't think, you know, I mean, I'm, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world to get to do this stuff. Awesome. Well, you know, why is it, let, let's get into the story side of this. First of all, why do we love stories? I mean, what is it about stories that seems to capture the attention of people? Well, people love narrative and they love wonder and they love imagination. And stories can get us out of our own head and into another world. We turn everything into a story. Think about it. Politics, we turn into a story. Religion, we turn into a story. Love, we turn into a story. Our successes or our failures become stories. And sometimes the stories we tell actually get in our way. And sometimes the stories we tell can change the world in which we live. Think about projects for a second. Every project has a story. So if you're working on a project inside your organization, what's the story of the project? What, what are the commitments that are being made and how are they being fulfilled? What, what are the intentions of the people on the project? How does each person play a role in that particular project? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the stories, they're everywhere and we love them. We absolutely love them. There's a, a researcher named Jonathan Gottschall and he talks, he studies uh, the neuroscience behind uh, stories. And I stayed away from that because I feel like we, we all know that we love stories. How to tell them is, is really the challenge. It's really the challenge. But he says something very interesting. He, he says that um, the, the constant firing of our neurons in response to fictional stimuli, it strengthens and refines the neural pathways that lead to skillful navigation of life's problems. It's very interesting to me. It's kind of like a story is like a shot of dopamine. I don't know how else to put it, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like those that are masterful storytellers, you know, you think of Disney and you think of, you know, people that write these crazy scripts for some of these awesome movies, like mm -hmm. whoever writes the Star Wars scripts, you know? Mm -hmm. And you, you think about these stories and the power of these stories is phenomenal. And I think that as a marketer or a business owner, if we can figure out how to actually find our find the right stories to share and then how to actually, you know, put them together, which is really leading into my next question, I think we can kind of unleash some magic to use your words. So let's start with how do we find a story? How do we find the right stories to share? Because you and I were talking before that this is kind of an important part of it, right? Yeah, it's all, it's often challenging. You know, when we start to sit down to to work on a presentation, or if we're thinking about a meeting that we're going to have where we want to highlight some of our experiences, maybe it's an interview or it's a promotional uh, meeting. You want to try to get a promotion, get a raise. We sometimes draw a blank because so many different things have happened to us over the years. We are not constantly processing those experiences and those stories you know, top of mind. We just, you know, we're thinking about what happened today and what's going to happen tomorrow. And so there's a technique that I have that you can use to source your stories, to uncover the stories that you've experienced 
and then sculpt them. So let's start with the discovery part of the process. And can I do this with you? Can I do it as yeah, an exercise? Let's do okay. It. All right. So let there's four different prompters that you can use. And we're going to start with people. Okay. And so you can do this with with anybody that you have known throughout your entire life. But I'm just going to throw out a couple different people. And I want you to think of a story that you associate with that particular person. Okay. Okay. Your high school girlfriend, most serious high school girlfriend that you had. Believe it or not, it would be college instead of high school. <laughs> there you go. So what, what, like so there's said, a story right there, right? Exactly. Right. I was there's a nerd a in high school who played video games and, you know, moved from the Midwest to California in my senior year. And that made it a little harder. <laughs> there you go. So there's a story there. Then I, then if you, if we continue down this path and we started brainstorming it, we'd probably find that there was some girl that you liked that didn't even know you liked her. Yes, of course. Yeah, exactly. And you pined after her. Yeah. Yep, and, and then there, and she said, she said, no, I'm, I won't go to the dance with you, but I would have if you asked me a week earlier. You know how that stuff works. Oh, God, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts. If you had just the courage to go for it the first time. Yeah. So so there's there's a story. Now, and then if we think of our the college girlfriend that you had, yep. any particular story comes to mind? Well, yeah. I mean, she became my wife. So there's a huge story there. There's a huge story there. And if we dig deep, deeper into it, you'll start to find the individual stories. The unique stories, the first time that you saw her story, the first time you went on a date with her story, absolutely, the first fight that you ever had story. Yeah, and so absolutely. This is, and the fact that I story. wasn't interested in her the first time I met her, <laughs> but the second time I said I, I I met her, I said to all my guy friends, I said, "Lay off the blonde." <laughs> there you go. So now here's what's interesting: people say, "But yeah, what am I going to do with these stories? We right. don't know yet. We right. don't know. All we're doing is is discovery. Right. We note them down." That's it. So you have a big piece of paper and you have a column for places, uh, for people rather, and you just note them all down. Right. Okay. Because when you're starting to craft a speech or a presentation for say a sales pitch, you'll be able to go back to this sheet and search through the stories and see if any of them can apply, right? The, the message in those stories, mm. is there a metaphor that would then apply or is there some analogy that would apply that you can use? So you start with the people and, and again, you go through your mother, your father, your best friend, your high school girlfriend, the girl that got away, the, you start looking and you will come up with so many stories. And it's really fun to do this with others because you're just going to find more stories and you're going to, your brain's going to fire more and you're going to get more excited about it. And you're going to have fun with it now. So wait, we're putting a little library of stories together to pull from this exactly, what you're saying, It's right? exactly right. So okay. if you use Evernote, make a library of stories. Okay. So the next thing, the next thing we, the next prompter that we can use, so we used people. Now let's use places. Sure. So did you have a, a vacation home or a particular place that your family went to in the summer on a regular basis? Yeah. Um, up in Canada, we would go to this island that, that was so big that it had a lake on it that had a island on it that had a pond on it. <laughs> wow. So clearly there's a story there. There's a story there for sure. It's like a magic box. Yeah. <laughs> or one of those Russian doll sets. Has anything ever happened there that was unique? Yeah. I was walking were... through a field with cows and they were just kind of um, looking at me weird. <laughs> now we might need to work on that story a little bit. But nonetheless, I think you get the point. You start to find these stories. Sure. You know, I mean, when I think about that, the first thing that pops to my head, and I haven't thought about this in 35 years, is I'm 44 now. I haven't thought about this in 35 years, is that Alex Cohn and his brother made me nervous because 
they were kind of wild and I would get nervous going in the ponds that I was going to get stuck. Mm. And so they were really wild. And, and I remember the, and there's a student, then there's another one. I go stuck. Okay, great. That just reminded me of the time that where I went clamming by myself when we were in Cape Cod, when the tide was out and the tide started coming in and I started walking in, but I got stuck because the boots got stuck in the mud and I couldn't get myself out. And mm-hmm. I thought I was going to drown and die. Wow. So, you, you know, you see how once you start to think about one story, another one starts to come. When you when I asked you about the high school girlfriend, I thought about my high school girlfriend and the time she poured a strawberry milkshake down the radiator of my car. Mm, wow. And there's a story there. Absolutely. Now, let me pause you for a second and ask this question because I know a lot of people listening are wondering, how does this apply to marketing and business? Oh, my God. It's everything. I mean, yeah. So should we be thinking about our business stories or these personal stories somehow do tie into the business side? They are the business side. There's no difference between our business and our personal stories. Now, some, of course, might not be appropriate for the business world, but we are not somehow some other creature when we're doing business than when we are, when we're at home, it's the same thing. So we're looking for stories that would apply. Mm. And of course, all marketers know that marketing is storytelling. Seth Godin wrote a whole book about uh, marketers uh, being storytellers. So I can take that story about that girl that I waited a week to ask and I missed my opportunity and I could apply that to business about why we should strike right now. Of course. Absolutely right. So you see now you've got a way to illustrate this kind of boring technical concept in a way that reminds people of experiences that they've had Mm. So that they can now connect to it because they love the narrative of it. So we've got people, places, now things. Think about things. First car. What was your first car? It was a Saturn. Oh my God. I don't God. even know if those things exist anymore. <laughs> I don't know either. And uh, It was a little Saturn sports car. Okay, so- Well, actually, any- my first vehicle was a motorcycle. And uh, there oh. is a story. My mom, when I was 16, said, uh, you're not getting a car because our insurance is going to double. So I didn't get a car until I got to college. And my first vehicle was a motorcycle. So there's a whole story there. There is a whole story there. So neat. And then you'll start to think about some scary incidences, exactly. incidents that you had on that motorcycle and how you saw your life flash before your eyes. And then, boom, you've got something there. So, uh, so then you people, places, things, and times and events. Mm. A particular time in your life or an event. And certainly you can look at things like weddings, you can look at bar mitzvahs, you can look at confirmations, you can look at um, graduations. Graduations, you know, anything that was important to you will start to bring up stories. And that's how you source them. And you can play this game with your friends, you can play it by yourself, but I recommend doing it with other people and create a library of stories for yourself that you can then craft. And I would like to talk at some point in this interview about how to craft the story, because just because we experienced it doesn't mean that it's ready for prime time. Yeah, let's talk about this. I mean, because, you know, at this point, we've got a library of stories, uh, hopefully, because we followed Michael's formula. And now, I guess the question is, how do we actually, you know, what are the elements of a story? Because not everybody is as skilled as you at telling a story. So, you know, um, can you break down, we're going to get into how to, how to perform the story, but what are the kind of the core elements of a very basic story? Cause I mean, this is kind of a craft. Yeah. Well, this is actually what I do because I, I'm not naturally the best storyteller in the world. I have a good natural timing and I've obviously been doing this for a long time. So I've built up, uh, I suppose an unconscious competency uh, of some kind, but it's, you know, people, the greatest storytellers in the world are comedians. And good point. You know, the greatest politicians of all time, 
and the greatest civil rights leaders. They, they're the greatest storytellers of all time. I think of even Kevin Hart or Louis C.K. The way these guys can tell a story is just extraordinary. And here's the thing. As good as they are, they've crafted that story probably for a year before they bring it to Madison Square Garden. So if these folks are working that hard on crafting their stories, I think we should probably put a little more and more attention to it as well. So what I do anytime that I know I'm going to use a story in some sort of professional setting is I use the three-act structure to sculpt it. And the three-act structure is not mine, it's Aristotle's. And it's what you find uh, the structure, you find most plays uh, in this structure, most movies, most TV episodes, uh, use the three-act structure. And the three-act structure is present in virtually any story that you hear and many of the jokes that you hear. The three-act story goes like this. Act one. Act one is the exposition. It's the given circumstances. It's the time or the setting. It's the place. It's the things that you need to know in order to understand what's about to happen. Right. So it's now, 1979 and I'm sitting in my basement with my Atari 2600 and I have Yars Revenge on or whatever, you know? Exactly. Okay. Now, if that exposition is, is lengthy, if it is not specific, if it goes on for a long time, the listener usually checks out. Right. If there's not enough exposition, the listener's confused when you get to the second act. They sort of feel like they're in the beginning of a French film. Mm. They're like, wait, who's, who's the brother? I'm confused. Right. And then they check out. But if you have just enough, just enough for the audience to understand what's about to happen, then you're good. You're set. So it's the, so you, so it's the setting. It's like setting the stage of where, where, so people can make a mental picture, right? Is that kind of the idea of, of what's happening? That's exactly what it is. Okay. It's, you know, it's like, uh, let's say I'm tell a story about, um, about Mimi, this woman that I was with. Let's say I tell the story and I tell the story about going to her house for Thanksgiving. I need some exposition. So I might say, you know, Mimi's family is very close, much closer than I am with mine. Well, that's relevant because in the story, you're going to see the closeness of that family and how it relates to the conflict uh, that occurs. And you're going to need to know that uh, much closer than mine, because I don't really know how to deal with this kind of close-knit family. I'm uncomfortable. So mm. those are important details. Perfect. Right? I say they still live in the same house where she grew up and I couldn't wait to see her old tree house and I sit on her roof and et cetera, et cetera. So there, you need those details. You're painting a really clear picture. But then act two is the conflict. This is where something happens an inciting incident, something occurs that creates conflict, a change of some kind. And usually when a conflict occurs, some action follows. And then that action produces another conflict, which often produces more action, which produces another conflict. And the more, the more tension Sounds you like create, a Seinfeld episode. It's <laughs> exactly what it is, but that's exactly right. The Seinfeld episode has some exposition. And then uh, from that exposition, you learn about the characters or the, you know, the situation that they're in that particular week. If yeah, you know they're the, at the soup Nazi, right? Exactly. <laughs> and here's the soup Nazi yells at everybody and it's the best soup in the world. Well, now we know that's the time. That's the setting. Okay, great. So what happens? Well, George gets really pissed and George 
you know, try or Jerry, he doesn't let Jerry have it because Jerry does something. He wants it. So he figures out how to get it. And they try to sneak in there and pretend there's somebody else. One conflict after another, after another, as they're trying to go for their uh, objectives. Right. And that's usually what makes a story rich is that you have a, a protagonist who is going after what they want, but is thwarted, is is stopped by these 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 hurdles or these boundaries, these roadblocks that get in their way. And they keep trying to overcome those hurdles, those boundaries, those roadblocks. And the more tension, the better the story. Act three is the resolution. Mm. This is, you know, they lived happily ever after. Everybody died in the end. Or it's the big punchline if it's a joke. And the resolution needs to be worth waiting for. The payoff has got to be worth the exposition and all of the conflict that existed in Act 2. And now Act 2 is usually the bulk of of the time. It's usually about 85% of your time in that story. Now, what you do is you take the stories that you've uncovered and you try to put them into that structure and you actually write them out. You write out the details. And eventually you'll memorize these stories. You might tell them a little bit differently each time, but you'll have your go-to stories, your core stories that you pull out when you're in a sales meeting uh, or even when you're on a first date, y- y- everyone will admit they've got the particular stories that they pull out on those dates that make them look good, but not so good that it seems like they're bragging, et cetera, et cetera. Let me ask you this question, Michael. Um, I know that it's easier probably for us to tell our own stories, um, but I'm curious whether we should mix it up with other people's stories. Like I'm thinking about Harlan Sanders. I don't know if you know who he is, but mm-hmm. the story of Harlan Sanders is um, he owned a gas station in the 20s and it was during the Depression and he traded chickens for uh, gasoline. And eventually that gas station expanded a little bit to include a little diner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ter- <laughs> where he made where he cooked chicken, where he cooked chicken. Yeah. And he ended up uh, being very successful until the highway moved and he went out of business. Mm-hmm. And at the age of 50. Five years old, he took, uh, he, he lost everything. He took his $200 social security check and went to um, 10 restaurants trying to sell his chicken recipe. Failed 20, 30, 50, 500, 1,000. It wasn't until he got to the thousand and seventh restaurant that finally they said, We will take your chicken recipe. Um, that guy is Colonel Sanders. Colonel mm-hmm. Harlan Sanders, and he went on to build one of the largest chicken franchises in the world. Mm-hmm. That's a great story, right? A perseverance and starting when you're older. Uh, and I love telling that story, even though it's not my own. And I'm curious whether we should mix it up a little bit with other people's stories and our own stories, and whether it's even more powerful to tell someone else's story. Sometimes it is. Absolutely. And sometimes you're telling stories of family members. Sometimes you're telling stories of a friend. And those can be just as effective as the stories Uh, that are part of our common uh, lore. One of the things that we do have to watch out for, however, when we tell stories that that feature very prominent figures is that many of the people that you're sharing the story with may have heard it before. Mm -hmm. And if we're giving a speech and we're telling uh, the same story that many other people are telling in their speeches, then we lose the originality. Right. And that's why we want to we want to blend those uh, speech blend the stories with our stories and make sure that there's a nice balance between those two things. Mm. It's sort of like if you go to see a speech now, it's it's unlikely you're you're not going to hear about Zappos in right. some way, shape, or form, or Apple right. in some way, shape, or form. And so that those are the kind of things we need to be careful about. Well, if when you do tell a story stories. about Apple, it better be a sto- it better be a maybe another take on the story or maybe a different side of the story, right? Exactly. 
And I would be careful about prefacing uh, your story. First of all, I don't, you don't need to tell anybody, not you, but one doesn't need to tell anybody that they are going to tell them a story. So right. you can skip that. You don't say, I'm going to tell you a story. And you definitely and you don't, don't want to say don't, And you don't want to give it away by saying, I'm going to tell you a story about Colonel Sanders, right? I mean, like, I, yeah, think, exactly. I think the fact that nobody realized it was Colonel Sanders until the end is makes it more interesting, don't you think? Exactly right. That's, that's, the, that's the payoff. That they're like, wow, this is kind of interesting. And, you know, okay, cool. The guy sold some chickens. Oh my God, it's Colonel, it's Colonel Sanders. That's incredible. You know, so that's, that's what we're going for. And we also don't want to ask our listeners if we can tell them a story. Right. Because it's a weak position to, to start from. The best stories are the ones we don't, we don't even know we're in until we're into the conflict. You know, it's funny because my public speaking is always evolving despite the fact that I have uh, two degrees in speech. Um, and one of the things that I've started doing more recently is starting with a story in every section of my presentation, not even letting any, any, everybody know what the, you know, I mean, like I'll share a story and then at the end of the story, then I'll share the finding or the data that I'm actually, you know, because I'm typically up there revealing research from a study we've done, but I'll start with the story. And then at the end, uh, the, you know, the take home is, um, you know, video on Facebook is, is powerful, you know, but mm -hmm. first I start with the story of someone who's done something amazing on Facebook with video. Mm -hmm. And I've just found it so much, people are more receptive to that than just saying, here's a chart, video on yeah. Facebook is powerful. Yeah, of course. So what you're, what you're doing is excellent. And it's demonstrating the fact that you don't need to follow the old adage, which is tell them what you're going to tell them, then right. tell them, then tell them what you told them. Right. Now, of course, you always want to re reinforce the the key points, the things that you're teaching them so that they consume those key points. That's the main, that's very important. But this idea that you have to tell them what you're going to tell them before you tell them is, is not necessary. The best experiences, the best uh, theatrical experiences are the ones that you're you're excited. You're sitting there excited to know what's coming next. Exactly, uncertainty you, is powerful. It's, it's like if it's like if you if you turn on the TV and you're going to watch an episode of Breaking Bad, and the characters at the beginning are sitting in chairs, you know, looking at the camera, saying, hey, "Listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to sell some drugs in this episode." Then. Uh, <laughs> it, and they tell you, and then we're all going to die. You know, this is, you're going to, I don't want to watch this. I know it's going to happen. It's why I don't watch movie trailers because I, I watch a movie trailer and then I watch the film. I know exactly what's happening. I can figure it out. So people want to be surprised. That's the beauty of performance. It's the surprise. It's the unknowing. It's the, it's the shock. And that doesn't mean doing things that are shocking, but it's, it's not knowing what's coming next that's interesting. And it's very different than giving a talk. Very different than giving a talk. It's, wow, I didn't, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. And so a lot of times when we look at actors that are really interesting, they're interesting because they make unconventional choices. They make choices you would not expect. And, and that's why what you're doing in your uh, keynote is very effective because they don't know what's coming. So they don't know what to expect. And then when they get it, it's even more interesting. Let's talk about, and by the way, you know, you've kind of opened their mind with story so that you can deliver this, the medicine, you know what I mean? And, and, it, and it kind of goes back to the, you know, they're, they're totally captivated by the story. And then when you, when you make the connection, it's like even stronger, but right. let's get into the delivery of the story. And you've kind of hinted on a couple of things not to do, but you know, um, 
I'm thinking about whether someone is holding up a video camera and um, you know, doing a periscope or whether someone is on a stage or whether mm-hmm. someone is on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the delivery side of it. And this is sure. clearly an area where you have a unique gift set. So give us some tips on how we can better deliver a story. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, I want to reiterate that I may have some natural affinity for it, but more importantly, I have a skill set. A skill set. And a skill set is something that's important. That, yeah, you can that learn anybody it. can develop. Exactly. So what I'm suggesting is that if you learn this skill set, uh, then you can tell better stories, even if you don't think that you're a natural storyteller. Mm. Good. And the, the different mediums that you just presented, uh, they present different different environments. Right. So when you are speaking into an audience and you're in person, you have issues to contend with that are different than if you're, say, speaking to a camera. If you're speaking to a camera, there's no one else there. So that presents two issues. One, you can control the timing very, very well because nobody can interrupt you. Nobody can throw your timing off. And great storytelling has as much to do with the timing as the actual story itself. Let's talk about timing because okay. Let when, me. I, I, I want to yeah. talk about, but let me just unpack this because I want to make sure I don't. I yeah. Don't, no, I, don't I love skip. it. Yeah. So there's that one is that is the time, but then the other problem. Is, then the other thing on the other hand is if you're speaking to a camera, you don't get the human interaction. Right. You don't get the dynamic of another person or other people to help you create the timing via the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing for. A speech, you have present a lot of energy that you can use if you can control to own the timing. But at the same time, there's a lot of people and a lot of things going on that you need to be aware of and manage so that the timing is not taken away from you. I agree. I mean, and, and the bottom line is the most difficult um, but also the most rewarding is when you're in front of an audience because you can get that immediate feedback by watching their eyes and seeing if they're they're nodded down or looking straight at you, right? Absolutely. And- humor, humor especially is very difficult straight to camera. This is why, you know, historically sitcoms have audiences because right. without the audience, it's very hard uh, to get the timing. So, so talk about, we know there's variance and obviously we could spend a whole another hour talking about the different kinds of ways to present live versus in front of a camera. But let's just talk about some of the general presentation tips, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, or or story delivery tips, if you will, that might be cross applicable. Okay. So as we've started to touch on, timing is very, very important. And timing is, may even be more important in humor than general storytelling. But I think we should consider timing to be as important uh, in both because most of us are telling a lot of stories, but we're not, we're not stand-up comedians. We're not telling jokes necessarily. And the ability to sit in silence in different parts of your story is key. The most important part of the story that often gets silence is right before the resolution. Hmm. You're hanging it up there. It's waiting, waiting, waiting. 
you know then, what this reminds me of? This that, reminds me of those game shows where they're just about to announce they got the, you know, like the American Idol, they got the three people on the stage and the winner is, and then silence for like a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what, they, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's, that's a called a pregnant pause, mm. a very big pause, which is a beat. And in that beat, people fill it with their energy, with their expectation. They're waiting for what's to come, and that's exciting. Hmm. So you need to feel comfortable drawing that out. And you can use the rule of three, uh, and you can actually count in your head. This is one of the things I have some of my students do when they're working on their stories, because usually they don't wait long enough. Usually they feel that they have to rush through it. So I say, use the rule of three. Just count it. Wait. Wait. <laughs> wait. Now deliver it. And sometimes you want to wait even longer. What, so do you do, this, what do you do with your body? I mean, like, are you standing up there on the stage just looking at everyone? I mean, a lot of people yeah. are probably wondering, what, am I, what do I do with my nonverbals, you know? Well, see, here's the thing. The nonverbals are actually quite easy if you are connected to your material. If you follow the methodology that I teach, you're never going to ask, what do I do with my hands? Hmm. No student of mine has ever asked, I don't, what do I do with my hands? Ever. Because we work from the inside out. A, if you know your material, that helps. B, if you have an objective that you're trying to pursue and you're going after that with intention and you're motivated to reach that objective in your storytelling, well, your body is going to follow your intention. Your hands are going to do what your hands will do if you weren't on stage. Sure. So you become more naturalistic when you're performing, the better prepared you are. So this, uh, this idea of here's some tricks of what you should do with your hands is, is teaching from the outside in, which is, I think, very dangerous. I mean, it's not like dangerous, like, you know, you know, going into a war zone kind of dangerous. No, but it, you're obviously suppressing something that your body is trying to contribute to the story, right? If exactly you, right. And yeah. what you're doing is you're looking at the external uh, elements rather than the internal elements, which is what drives performance. So we've talked about pauses. Um, what about variation in voice? Yes. Pacing, rhythm, volume. Yeah. I mean, volume yeah. is a big deal, H right? Because tone. some people are very monotone <laughs> and other people scream. And, you know, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, like... I think you need to be yourself and maybe we should put cameras on ourselves when we're watching, when we're just having well, dialogue in real life. Dangerous. Yeah. If we are, if we are ourself at present and our natural way of being might not be good is, enough. It might, it might not work for performance and it can change. Mm. So if you tend to be very monotone, there's often a reason that you're monotone. It's often because you like to play things safe. Ah, if you play thing, if you are very monotone, then it's less likely that you're going to make a mistake in what you say. It's less likely that you're going to offend anybody. It's less likely uh, that uh, that you're going to trip yourself up because you are speaking like this, and you're very measured. And as you're to, thinking as, about your next line while you're talking. Exactly, as opposed to you know, variation in pitch and tone and pace, which is living a little bit more on the edge. Mm -hmm. And that's what people like to listen to. Here's the thing. Often a speaking coach will tell people to slow down 
And I understand where the advice is coming from. I suggest not focusing on slowing down, but rather focusing on pausing. Yeah. Because there's power in the pause. You and I both speak relatively quickly. It's true. But we, but both, we, both, but we both use pause. I mean, I use it yeah, all, the time. all the time. You do. And you do very, very well. And so people can consume what we have to say in that pause, in that transition. That's a good point. And I think we need to focus on this for a second because I, even though it's true that we're fast talkers, knowing when to pause is so essential because the message needs to go into the brain and needs to be processed by the person receiving it mm-hmm. and before you move on to the next thing, right? That's right. That's and exactly. otherwise, it's just going to like the, you know, because people zone out. Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. It's true. And here's the thing. Podcasting radio is difficult in this particular regard because they say you shouldn't have dead air. If you have dead air, someone tunes in, they don't think there's a station, they turn the station. However, pausing, of course, is very important. And the thing that happens is often, say, I imagine this is the case, if you're interviewing somebody and you pause for effect, they might think, oh, I'll jump in. And yet you weren't done with what you were trying to say. Right. Or vice versa. And so it's one of these things where we have to work on being able to stay in the moment so that we can get a clear sense of whether or not that person is going to continue. Well, first and foremost, I just want to say this has been pretty cool. And I know a lot of people are like, don't stop. (laughs) (laughs) We are getting to the point where um, we have just been like, I don't know how I can say this. I mean, I just feel like I've had like a nice big thing of fat free ice cream. No, maybe there's been fat in it. Not fat-free. Come on, this is this is. No, I mean like ice cream. Like I want the. Okay, fine. I've had all the calories with the toppings and everything, and this has been really, really awesome. Um, You know, we have just touched the surface of the art of the story, and I think you and I could go on for hours. But I do want to. um, I do want to give people an opportunity to discover more about just at a macro level what they can find inside of your book and where they can go get it. So if you could. Tell us a little bit more about that. That would be awesome. So obviously, storytelling is a component, but it's maybe one one one-hundredth of the book. That's how much I attempted to pack into this book. So if you want to speak uh, professionally, you're set. If you want to speak uh, to get more clients, you're set. If you need to speak because your boss asked you to give a presentation at the next uh, sales meeting, you're set. If you are somebody who doesn't necessarily speak publicly, but you want to do better in situations where people are watching you, then you're set if you read this book. And the way I organize it is I focus on the mindset of the performer first, so you can find your own voice and feel comfortable with it, and then overcome your fears and silence the critics, because I think that's an important part of being comfortable getting up and expressing yourself in front of others. And then, of course, very important to be able to play the right role in every situation. So figuring out how you can amplify different parts of your personality so that you can feel comfortable in lots of different uh, groups of people in lots of different situations. And that's part one of the book. In part two, I go into six performance principles. And these are the principles that the performer mastered so that not only can you perform when you've rehearsed, but 
you can perform in the moment so that your improvisational skills are top notch. Not You're not going to go and do improv comedy, but you're going to be able to handle anything that comes at you if you use and really adhere to the performance principles. And then part three is a masterclass in public speaking. It is a tour de force, everything from content creation, storytelling, as we discussed. Uh, I have a very specific a six-part, a six-step rehearsal process. There's a whole section on telling jokes, how to even write jokes. Gosh, it goes on and on and on. Even you know, cho- choice of your wardrobe, what you wear. It's just, I mean, I I'm so happy with this book. It's I, a I just it's a really good book. Um, is there anywhere you want to send them to find the book? It's yeah. called Steal the Show, Michael Port. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and if you go to stealtheshow.com. Uh, there's a whole bunch of bonuses you can get when, as, as Michael this knows- This is coming out in October, early October. Yeah, October 6th, but we're doing a lot of pre-sale bonuses because in this day and age, pre-sales are very important for books. And as most people know, when you're releasing a book, you give away the farm. So you give away everything you have to sell a lot of books right at the beginning. And then right. if the book is great, it will uh, have a life of its own after that. Uh, so you should take advantage of me and steal all of my stuff by buying a few copies of Steal the Show. And you can do that at stealtheshow.com. And of course, anywhere books are sold, you can get yourself a copy. Awesome. And I make, I make this promise to everybody, Michael. If anybody reads any one of my books, including, of course, Steal the Show, and they don't love it, they just have to send me an email with their name, their address, and a book uh, that they'd like to read instead not like a $400 coffee table book, but a book on a sim- on the same topic that will help them achieve their goals. And I'll buy it for them and send it to them. Wow. That is putting your money where your mouth is. <laughs> Michael Port, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it is my pleasure. I never take this kind of opportunity for granted. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Well, I know I could have gone on and on with Michael because I just love this topic so much. I think story is so powerful as marketers and we just barely are scratching the surface of what we can do with that well if there's anything we mentioned in today's show don't worry we take all the notes for you visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 165 stands for episode 165 also if you're new to the podcast hit that subscribe button so you never miss a future episode of the show if you've been around for a while we'd love you to consider a rating and or a review socialmediaexaminer.com slash itunes or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher will get you there for you. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.